our copy, our, well, our text this morning uh, for the Lord's message comes from the book of Job, chapter 7. Uh, we have been looking at the book of Job. Last week we looked at Job, chapter 6. Uh, Job 6 and 7 are his first response to the advice of his friends, so-called, uh, to Eliphaz. In chapter 6, largely, he defended himself, uh, gave an apology for himself uh, to his friends, and he rebuked them for their harshness and uncaringness and their inattentiveness to the sorrows that he was suffering. And that leads him then to uh, lift his heart not to uh, those that were false comforters, uh, but to his only hope, uh, to the Lord. Uh, whether he starts off this address uh, to his friends or to the Lord, it is clear by the time he ends up at the end of chapter 7, he is speaking uh, to his Savior. Before I read the passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we thank you that you have given these words under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit for the infallible instruction of your church, uh, that we might be fully equipped in our Savior uh, to unto every good work, that we might bear the fruit of faith and repentance and uh, obedience unto you. We ask this morning that you would indeed give us your Spirit, that same Spirit that inspired these words, that he might prepare our hearts to receive it, uh, that he would cause us to receive it to the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he calls us to receive it with understanding and with full intention of obedience to it. That we would find ourselves uh, in Job, but also, and more importantly, that we would find ourselves comforted by Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word from the book of Job, chapter 7, verses 1 through 21. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling? As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, and as a hireling looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me? When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise, and the night be gone? I am full of tossings to and fro unto the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust, and my skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. My eye shall no more see good. The eye of him that hath seen me shall see me no more. Thy eyes are upon me, and I am not. As the cloud is consumed and vanisheth away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his home, neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest to watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions, so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than life. I loathe it. I would not live always. 
Let me alone, for my days are vanity. What is man that thou shouldst magnify him, and that thou shouldst set thy heart upon them to try him, and that thou shouldst visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long wilt thou not depart from me? Nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Now, I imagine that some of you are thinking or wondering if the pastor will uh, address the events of this past week, and, and why are we going to uh, the book of Job, which details the anguish of a man that, that lived before even the, the books of Moses were written, although the book of Job was written for, um, probably a great deal later. Uh, why a, a man that is uh, in the darkness of history? Are we going to look at him? Others perhaps are very glad that I am sticking with uh, Job 7 and, and are looking upon a turning to the Word as something of an escape from uh, the anxieties of the world in which we live. Understand that I am not a political commentator. I am, as far as the Lord has appointed me, a steward of His Word. But His Word is not escapist literature that gives us an opportunity to escape the problems of this world. It is the Word of God to us in this world. And so, yeah, I'm going to address uh, the events of this past week as best I can through the lens of God's Word to us. And I will trust that the providence of the Holy Spirit is such that this is exactly the word that we were meant to hear this week. But there are a lot of false voices out there. And just so you know where I am, I don't consider that there was any terrorism done this past week. We are a nation built upon heroes that did far worse upon far less provocation And that building in Washington, D.C. is no more a temple and no more sacred than what is done within it. And just as Christ himself came into the real temple of God and lashed out at those who corrupted it and then decided in the works of prophecy, called it to bring about its utter destruction. So when whatever building, however glorious, becomes a den of thieves and iniquity... It has no sacredness. But whatever the motivation, whatever uh, happened on this last Wednesday, we also know that it has ramifications. And it has darkened our expectations for the future. And many people are worried. 
Now, I don't know, you don't know, we don't know if there's some other plan going on, and even if there is, plans of men fail. We don't know what kind of future God has in store for us. But for what we see, it looks very dark. It looks like all of our underpinnings and all of our hopes have been drawn from us. It looks like that which calls evil good and good evil is in the reins of authority and power. It looks like old verities, old truths, old certainties are mere puddles under our feet. Let's turn back then with that in mind and consider Job's situation. Remember, Job is one who didn't just have his riches taken from him and his children taken from him and his health taken from him. He had his wealth taken from him. Uh, There was no possibility of bringing back from the ruins that were left to him any sort of semblance of life. Uh, when, When his cattle is destroyed, it's not his riches that are destroyed, it's his wealth, his means of of bringing in uh, a a livelihood. But more importantly, his children were taken out. And remember, when we have Job described in his righteousness, he's one of those that goes and he makes intercession for his children just in case they have uh, lost sense of themselves and have uh, uh, violated or blasphemed the name of the Lord. And in the midst of that activity, they are taken out. So there is that uncertainty of their fate. Perhaps they were taken out in judgment. And perhaps not only will they never see life again, perhaps they are under the condemnation and eternal damnation of God. That was part of what worried him. And that's part of what grieved him. It's part of what Eliphaz alludes to. We'll see Bildad brings that even further into it to to really pressure Job into what they thought was the right course of repentance. He knows his innocency. What he doesn't know is the counsel of heaven. He doesn't know that Satan has been unleashed against him. And even if he knew that, he wouldn't know why God would allow such a thing. And then his own body doesn't give him any sort of rest, doesn't allow him to seek those, those, uh, those, those ways that we tend to our grief but through rest and sleep and time. No, his body is eating away at itself. Uh, he describes it as, as worms and, and clods of dust. And this might be a form of leprosy or elephantism or very likely a divine or a numinous disease that has no other likeness in the world. What this passage in Job shows us is that the children of God are not immune to bitterness of soul. That Job's complaint Uh, is voiced to the Lord in its fullness, as he says he will do because of the shortness of his life in verse 11. It's sort of the the axis of this this chapter. Therefore, because of what's gone before and what I'm going to say forward, therefore will I not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Why? 
Because he didn't see any more good left for him. He's outlived his appointed time for good. In verses 1 through 3, he, he comments that there is an appointed time for all things. The, the, the hireling or probably the mercenary or the soldier. He has his tour of duty. Uh, verse 2, a servant, a slave. He has those moments of rest that he looks forward to. The hireling has that time where he come into his wages uh, or come into his purpose. He completes his job. And, and then there is rest. But he's done anything he can imagine as one that stood in the gates and defended the poor and, and lashed out against oppressors as, as a generous man of wealth. He's done all that. That's all taken away from him. And there's nothing left. So uh, it's not so, but contrary to the, 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 the mercenary and, and the servant and the hireling, I have come to my good and now I'm possessing months of vanity, wearisome nights, are appointed to me. And he goes on to describe that you all have had moments of anxiety and worry and uncertainty. And part of what makes it worse is the fact you can't get to sleep. And you're in the middle of the night and you're left with nothing but your thoughts. And, and what you did wrong or what you cannot fix. And in the, something about being there in the night and not being able to hear much and not having the life of the world around you in the day, it tends to magnify those problems and tends to be a bigger burden. And if you can only get to the morning and only get to the day, you know that there will be some relief, but you can't do it. Imagine if everything that you have and every hope and resource for the future. Your name was extinguished from the earth and your children, that your uh, wealth was completely gone, that your health was gone. And have we not had, even within our own congregation, those that, that, that have longed for the end of their days? There's, there's a time for us all appointed to die, and most of us will probably at least outlive our understanding of our usefulness. And that will be a burden. But to add to it, these arrows of the Lord Almighty, these strikes against Him, that He didn't understand why they were happening. All that He could have feel was what appeared to Him to be the anger of God against Him. And that was all that was left. And so, yes, he calls out for pity in verses 7 to 10 that the Lord would remember that his life is passing away, that it is but a win, that there's nothing left for him in this life. He goes on to say in verse 10, he shall no more, he shall return to his house, he shall no more return to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. This, by the way, is not a denial of life after death, nor is it really a denial of the resurrection. But he doesn't know those things. Remember, this is not a man of the covenant, uh, or at least not of, of the covenant with oracles. That This is not a man that has the sure promises of God written down. Uh, his hope will eventually give him to kind of hope that there is a resurrection, that he will see his Redeemer, and he will ask that it be written down. But these are hopes and not the sure promises to him. These are actually what the trials and the exercises of God's uh, 
not chastisement, but, but miseries upon Job work. It brings out his faith. Even when there's just a scant little bit to have faith in, it brings it out. But as far as this life goes, and this is true for you and, my, uh, our, you and me as well, there are exceptions. Lazarus was put in the grave and he came out again. Uh, to, to see his people. But that's not the typical thing. And that doesn't happen without God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we are resurrected, when we hope to be resurrected, we plan to come back to a new heavens and a new earth. We've come back to a world that's been purged of iniquity. This life will be done for us when we die. And that, that from our perspective, is a good thing. But remember, Job is, is in anguish out of, uh, of ignorance. He looks to the Lord and the terrors that he is enduring, and they, they are too much for his wretchedness. They're too strong for his weakness. Verse 12, Am I a sea or a well that thou settest to watch over me? Uh, y'all recall. Remember, the Hebrews, and, and by extension the Edomites, were not a seafaring people. And uh, the sea represented all that was chaotic and dangerous and uncontrollable to them. Uh, and in point of fact, even the seafaring peoples had this view of the sea uh, because it, was, it is dangerous. Even to this day, it is dangerous. And it is not something that mankind can simply control. And the whale or whatever monstrous animals that are there, uh, they, they lash out. And, and they can destroy. And Job says, I'm not something that dangerous. Or I'm not one of those things that you have to, to rein me in. I'm not a raging bull, if you will, that needs to be broken. I've been faithful. And what you're doing to me, it doesn't seem, uh, it doesn't seem to balance out. Of course, this is a complaint of ignorance. Then he goes and talks about when he lays himself down and seeks that rest, he doesn't have it because of the dreams and the terrors that come to him. Uh, and this could be a reference uh, to chapter 4, verse 12 through 17, when Eliphaz talks about that revelation that he had in the midst of the night, that dark revelation, whether from God or from the from a, a spirit of some other thing. Or maybe it is his own dreams and visions that are tormenting him and keeping him awake. So that he longs for death. That he wants his time to come. Which is interesting because uh, what is going on here is that Satan is using the one limitation that Satan had. You look in chapter 2, uh, to, to verse 6. The Lord said, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. Satan can't kill Job, no matter. He'll make Job wish that he could. The, 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 the troubles and the agitations are coming full bore. And so that Job looks upon the honor of man, that the omniscient, all-powerful God takes notice of and concern of man, which is in Psalm chapter, well, Psalm 8 and Psalm 144. These are, these are marks of astounding wonder at the mercy of the Lord. 
But to Job in the midst of his suffering, what is man that thou shouldst magnify him, uh, that thou shouldst set thy heart upon him, that thou shouldst visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow up my spittle? It's a great honor I acknowledge, O Lord, that you take notice of me. But I can't handle your notice. I wish you would go away. Now, we ought not to overplay these words of Job. Job, A, he's an Oriental, and culturally they speak in in greater extremes than we do. B, this is a book of poetry, and we ought to remember that. Uh, But, and, and then third and foremost, he's in the midst of anguish. And he's given, he's given voice to his spleen. He is giving voice to the, the, the fullness of his misery. And he's not going to hold back. He's not going to lie to God. He's not going to be demur with his Lord. The Psalms give us example of this. We don't hold back with God. Now we do in public prayer when we're leading others there to, to pray with us. But in your private prayers, there should not be any holding back before the Lord. If you are in anguish and you, and you feel like you're the brunt of His hatred and misery, there's no sense in hiding that. The Lord knows your heart. Confess it. What often happens in the Psalms is that David or the other psalmists will start off that way, but by the time they get to the end of the psalm, they are at peace because they know that even though they have emptied emptied their hearts before Him, that He has heard them and they can trust Him. We will see, by the way, the same dynamic in the book of Job, but in a psalm, a hymn, uh, there is far less space to get from point A to point B. What the beauty of the book of Job is that we see what often happens is that the journey from point A to point B can be long and torturous. That before Job can be comforted, Job has to give all of the the height, the depth, the weight of his misery and give voice to it and acknowledge it and come to, to see it, what it is before himself, before he can ever hope to receive what the Lord has in store for him in a good way. And so he pours out that that honor has become a burden and an agitation to him. And he confesses before them. Now, Job has maintained his innocence. Job has never maintained that he was sinless. Remember, he's one that sacrifices and he goes to the Lord and he's repentant. Part of his righteousness and perfection is that he's repentant, faithful man. And so he will resist the friend's calls to repent that he's under chastisement because he does not know for what he's being chastised with. That his heart is innocent and that's the only thing he has to cling to. That's his only hope that in these miseries that he knows he's right with the Lord so he can at least hope for death. But contemplating that does remind him that that is his only hope is to die in peace with the Lord. And so in verse 20 and 21, I have sinned, what shall I do unto thee? Now this can be phrased in several different ways. It's not if I have sinned, but uh, I have sinned. Uh, Either what shall I do unto thee, or what does that do unto thee? 
the, the notion is either that my sin doesn't really hurt your righteousness, but that doesn't really fit with the rest of what Job says, because Job is not making light of his sin in this. Uh, the way it is traditionally translated is, I have sinned, what shall I do unto thee? I have sinned and there's nothing I can do to atone for what I have done. Why then set me as a mark against thee? Because I can't redeem myself so that I am a burden to myself. And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? Since I can't fix my situation I'm going to ask and beseech you for your grace, for your free mercy. That's his only hope left to him. And he wishes that he might die with that peace of conscience. For thou seek me in the morning, thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. We get that in Psalm 39. It's sort of this... This whole chapter of Job is condensed in Psalm 39. Uh, and the final two verses, 12 and 13. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. For I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. O spare me, that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. Give me a little bit of a break so that I might die in peace. That's his complaint. That's his hope. And what we learn from this, and we are going to take some of our lessons from the broader picture of Job, but what we learn from this is that saints, God's children, you and I, those who faithfully cling to Jesus Christ, will experience trials or might experience trials that rob them of hope in this life. When we say God works all things together for good, who, are called, who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's usually one of those verses that we rightfully take to get us through hard times, remembering that all things means bad things. That Paul is talking about the struggles and the trials, but they will work together for good. But what we sometimes miss is that those struggles and trials are quite severe. I mean, Jesus describes the same duty when he says, He who is uh, worthy of me, or he who would be worthy of me, needs to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we forget that the cross is an instrument of, in, of execution, of slaughter, and death, and pain, and misery. And for Christ, even of being forsaken of the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a lot that is packed into that concept of taking up a cross and following Jesus Christ. Job gives us a picture of just what that might be. That with our senses and what we perceive around us, we might not see any hope. We, not, we might not be able to conceive of any further good. At least as it concerns his place in this life and the second imprisonment of Paul in Rome. When, when Nero would, would do mass executions of Christians, including Paul himself, as a scapegoat for his own shenanigans. At least as far as Paul's earthly life was concerned, there was no more good. I don't know what he feared because we don't have 
those things there. But we do know that he is a man that trusted in his Savior and did not put much stock in that. For it was better for him to be absent from the world and present with Christ Jesus. But note in these trials, again, how Satan uses his own limitations to, to make it harder uh, for, for the saint to, to come to a clarity of mind. The wiles of the devil are really wiles. They are stratagems, and they are sneaky, and they are pervasive. And if it were in our hand to overthrow his works, we would fail. Which is why we need a Savior. But also, notice how Job's, all his hopes, are stripped away from him. Now we know from the history of Job that Job didn't understand the, the, the power of God to undo what was done. Or to, to, to bless where there was none blessing. But from Job's perspective, he was limited to a place where his only hope was death. And a good death with the Lord. And it might be that you and I, and, and while we would have said this hypothetically, uh, even not that long ago, we say it with a little bit more uh, anxiety now, it might be that we come to a pl- time and a place where our only hope is to die with a good conscience and at peace with the Lord. And that should be okay. One of the things that might help us is to understand what made his miseries the worse. Our miseries can be made sharper by uncertainties. We don't know what's going on right now. A lot of forms of communication are down and that sort of thing. And you know, you and I are not in places of high power and of knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, we don't have to be. We probably ought not to be. And certainly it is in the case of the King of Heaven that he doesn't tell his people exactly the minutia of his policy in this world. We don't know why Christ does one thing and not another. All we know is that he is king. And thank goodness. Could you imagine having the responsibility of being the counselor to the king of kings and the lord of lords and what might befall you uh, were you to advise in this and how likely it would be that you would? What a glorious thing that sometimes, oftentimes, when it comes to the Lord every time, things are out of our hand and are in His. But that lack of knowledge is also a form of our anxiety and a form of our misery and a form of those burdens that press upon us. And and being miserable tends to distract from the cause of hope Remember in verse 17, he says, What is man that thou shouldst magnify him, and that thou shouldst set thy heart upon him, and that thou shouldst visit him every morning, and try him every moment? That's a good thing. You who are king of the universe, and you take such notice and love of mankind. You know, when the angels fell from grace, there was no redeemer for Satan. When Adam and Eve fell from grace... There's a Redeemer of mankind in Jesus Christ. And He doesn't just send an angel to do it. He comes in the flesh Himself to do it. And Job recognizes that whatever else his struggles are, they are wrestlings with the Lord. And while they are too heavy for Him right now, He understands it's an honor 
to be so worked with. But his misery catching him right now tends to cause that ray of hope to actually appear to be a burden and a misery. But imagine facing these trials without any hope of peace with the Lord, without any good conscience like Job had, or where you and I and the advantages that we have, knowing that God Himself drove that path that He calls us to, where He denied Himself and took on flesh, became one of us, suffered and died for the sinner. And rose victorious. So that we might know that denying ourselves and taking up that cross and following Him is not the way of suicide, not the way of death, but the way of conquest and victory. Job didn't know that. And he persevered. The patience of Job. Job doesn't seem patient to our ears. But patience in Scripture is not sitting quietly with arms folded in a serene mind. Patience means that we don't forsake God when all the world tells us that He ought to be forsaken. That though we are anguished and troubled and miserable, that we are wrestling with God because we know that He is our only hope, even when He is set against us. Even when He will be our destroyer and judge, He is nevertheless the only hope we have. And we will stand firm there. That is why James calls us to remember the patience of Job. And that is what we are called to. Like Job, you and I must persevere in wrestling with the Lord. That's the name of the church, Israel. The one who wrestles with God. The whole rest of the world, even the false Israel, follows her own schemes and her own ways. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ wrestles with God because in Christ alone is our hope. And Christ has equipped you better than Job. You know, Job does come to a resurrection faith. In chapter 19, verse 25 through 7, he says, I know, I know in my heart, I don't have that certainty of a promise, but I know in my heart that my Redeemer liveth, And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body. Yet nevertheless in my flesh. A different world perhaps. I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold. And not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. Through misery and trial. Job comes to that glimmer of hope. But Christ went before you in that. Christ has set before you the road that He trod, and therefore sets before you His victory of self-denial and the cross. Perseverance is the way of not just hope, but of promise. We turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read a big passage, 7 through 18. It says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. 
always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifested in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But through our outward, though our outward man perish, yet inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It may be. I haven't lost hope yet. It may be that the country in which you and I were born is no more. But remember the commendation of Abraham and the fathers. That the Lord loved them because they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And they did not return unto it. But they sought that better country that is their heavenly country. And therefore God hath prepared for them a city. You and I are, are members and subjects, no, by the language of Scripture, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem, that we will inherit the earth. And therefore, whatever may happen around us, we will persevere in Christ, that we might come to see the glory of Emmanuel's land. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would give us the grace to persevere even as Job persevered. We ask, dear Lord, that you would give us the grace to bear whatever cross you give. Give what you will, dear Lord, and give us grace to do it. We ask, Father, that we would not be found faithless. We ask, dear Lord, that we would not be found in misery. We ask, dear Lord, that you would lift us up, that we too might get a glimpse of the way of heaven, that we too might see the victory that comes through conquest of the world in Christ Jesus. You told your churches to hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. And you told each and every one, he who overcomes will inherit life eternal. Even so, Lord Jesus, let it be. Amen.